Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to That Healing Feeling. I'm Torsi and I created this podcast talking all things well-being, what makes us feel the absolute best in ourselves, and how we overcome challenges and heal with positivity and strength. It was so great to have this conversation with Ben West, where we talk all things mental health and pursuing positive change. Ben takes time to explain how he came into the position of being a mental health activist following the tragic loss of his brother Sam. Since Sam's passing, Ben has been raising awareness and offering solutions in order to tackle the serious mental health crisis we are facing. Throughout this episode, we discuss numerous challenging topics which are both relevant and necessary to speak about. We address the relationship between mental and physical health, mental health care in universities and schools, therapy as preventative medicine, social media, eating disorders, and more. I really hope you enjoy this episode and feel like you've learned something from it. So this week on the podcast, I have the lovely Ben West. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be on the podcast. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. Oh, no, it's really great. It's really exciting. I've obviously like seen so much of your stuff on Instagram and it's really, really amazing what you're doing. Ben is a mental health campaigner. Um, and I would just love to talk to you about how you got into this just yeah. to start. And then we can maybe discuss what you're kind of focusing on a bit more at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So my story, well, firstly, I mean, the fact that I'm a mental health campaigner is just mad. Like that is just not where I, what I should be doing in my life at all. Um, if you'd gone back in time and told like 15 year old Ben, that's what he's going to be doing. I, I wouldn't have believed you at all. Like I had no idea what mental health was for most of my life. Absolutely no idea. Like it maybe was talked about maybe one or two assemblies at school. Someone might have come in and said something about mental health, but I didn't understand it. I didn't really listen to it. Um, and then in September 2017, um, my younger brother, Sam, was diagnosed with depression. And at the time, like I said, I had no idea what that was. Uh, to me, I was like, how can you be diagnosed with being sad? Like, how is that? Because surely you just go and go for a run or go and see your mates or put on some happy music and just be happy again. Um, I didn't really understand that. Um, and just a few months later, January 2018, very 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 unexpectedly um sam took his own life and died um he was just 15 when it when all this happened and very 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 quickly i realized like how wrong i was to have just assumed that it was something that, that you could just deal with and, and that, that, that something was just like simple and straightforward um and yeah it, it was just like this massive shock to me that like i just thought this was some simple thing you know he was diagnosed depression okay you know cheer up mate and I didn't have any idea that it could it could have ended like this um and over the next few weeks after Sam died like so many people started talking to me about their own problems um I started talking about what I was going through and I was being open with the school and I was talking to like you know we had like a rem remembrance service at school uh, and basically like told everyone how awful it was and then so many people after that, like, came and told me about that, what was going on for them. Like, so many people were, were saying, you know, I've been diagnosed with anorexia. A lot of people said they'd been diagnosed with depression, anxiety. Um, I had a few people say they'd attempted suicide before. And I just remember sitting back and being like, oh, my God, this is like, 
this is happening so much. There's me a few months ago being like, what's mental health? And now suddenly I realised that like, literally everyone around me was suffering in some way. And everyone around me had something they didn't want to people to know about that was going on behind the scenes. Um, so that's really what got me got me into it. And uh, that was almost four years ago. And um, I'm still here, still doing the same thing, still trying to get people to talk about mental health and, um, and like pressuring governments and, and trying to create change and introduce new laws. And um, yeah, it's a slow process. But yeah, I'm still here, still trying. Yeah, I mean, it's a slow process, but it's because it's just such a huge problem, such a serious issue. And it's, yeah, like you say, it's universal. Everyone's affected by it. And firstly, I just want to say I'm, I am so, so sorry for your loss, but it is an incredible kind of response to such a horrible situation for you to just put all your energy into something like this. It's really, really commendable. So, um, yeah, it's amazing. Um and I think until it kind of is appreciated for what it is, and that's what the awareness does, and we just constantly need to be kind of showing how much of an impact and how serious it actually yeah. is. I think that's the thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like mental health is itself a spectrum. Like a lot of people sometimes yeah. they get the question, like, what is mental health? Well, mental health in itself is you. It's what makes you you. Like everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever felt, all your opinions on the world, how you interact with the world, the first thought you get when you wake up, like every single thing you do throughout your entire day for the rest of your life is your mental health. Yeah. Um, but it's a spectrum and you can either be at the high end of the spectrum and functioning well and feeling really, really good and being really positive and being really productive. Um, and you could be like that up there on that top end of the spectrum one day and you might be lower on the spectrum another day. You might be below average on another day. Um, but when we talk about mental illnesses, it's, it's when you're low and you are in that state of low mental health for a prolonged period of time where it starts to affect your day-to-day -day. and it can be caused by so many different things it can be a chemical imbalance in your brain it can be a problem um producing or um or absorbing neurotransmitters in your brain it can be brain trauma it can be an accident it can be so many different things yeah. um, but the big thing is and like you said and it's a mental illness it's an illness it's, it's something that's definitely there and it's not just a case of Oh, I'm just, I, you know, I'm going to decide not to be depressed today. I'm going to decide not to be unwell today and then just get on your merry way. It, it's not like that at all. It's, it's something that is an illness. It's there in the same way that you don't get flu and you're like, you know what? I don't really want to spend all day in bed today. I'm going to feel good. You just can't. You, yeah. you genuinely, you just can't not feel unwell. It's exactly the same. Um, and that's why it's so important that we, that we educate people about that and we educate people about mental health and mental illness and, and also have stuff in place to support those people that are unwell and that's what they are they're unwell they have an illness yeah exactly and i think what it is is the invisibility of it i suffered with depression for coming on like five years i would say between kind of 15 and 20 yeah. um really badly actually and like it's it is for me i think it was the fact like you were kind of saying like when you have the flu you can be in bed all day but because you have the flu it's, it seems legit and then yeah if you're depressed it's like it's just, it, do you know what I mean? Like, and even saying that, like, I shouldn't be kind of saying that, like, one is more, and obviously I'm not saying one is more kind of worthy than the other, but it does, it, there is that kind of separation between kind of physical illness and mental illness. And I, yeah, as someone who's actually had suffered with both, like, I, a kind of a huge factor of my mental health, like, degradation was having chronic pain. And yeah, not only like, are they so linked, kind of physical and mental health, but I did always kind of, lean on my physical illness yeah. or physical kind of issues I was it kind of felt it, I felt almost embarrassed at how much my mental health had degraded which is obviously a horrible thing to say and it, I, I if I was speaking to any of my friends I would never ever kind of want them to feel that way but I think when it's you it's so it was easier for me to kind of have those physical problems but even like beyond that like I think what what frustrates me so much with the lack of kind of funding and awareness of mental illness is that everyone who has physical issues, your mental health is so likely to be affected through that. Mm -hmm. And then there's all the mental health issues on top of that. So it is one of the only things that genuinely drives me slightly mad. Like I don't get angry about much, but like this, this is one factor I really do find it hard not to be really angry about. Um, right, exactly. And it's like, I sometimes get this. I'm like, I'm a mental health campaigner, but really I'm not. I'm a health campaigner because it's it's one and the same. Uh, mental health, physical health. There, there's no such thing as mental health or physical health. It's health. It's it's like, there should not be that difference because actually 
so many physical health problems um, affect the mental health, so many mental health problems affect physical health. Um, and yep. there's, like you said, exactly like this. And, you know, I speak to a lot of GPs. I speak to a lot of doctors as part of what I do. And, you know, the number of GPs that say almost every patient they see in a whole day, they will have a conversation about their mental health, not because they're all coming in to talk about their mental health, but because they all need that support. They all yep. need it. Because e- even if you're unwell, even if you're unwell with a physical illness, say you've got cancer, the whole burden of that obviously is going to have implications for your mental health and need support for that. Exactly. Um, but I do find it funny sometimes where it's like I'm a mental health campaigner but actually that sort of further stigmatizes this whole thing because it just separates mental health from physical health when actually they are literally the same thing it's health um, um, and we just need to treat them as the same thing because like you said before about um, staying in bed with the flu I mean if you told someone you weren't getting out of bed because you had the flu they'd be like oh shit sorry hope you feel better have a lem sip how many people would actually genuinely understand if you said I'm spending the day in bed. I have depression. I feel awful. And most people would actually try and help by going, oh, do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to come outside? Do you want to do, you want to do this? Maybe you should get up. That's not what you need right then. You need a break. You need that rest. Um, and it's just trying to trying to get that awareness that actually it's not just something that you can talk yourself out of. It's not something that you can just magically decide not to, not to do. It's, it's something that you've got to treat very, very similar to anything physical. Um, and some people do just need a break and need that time off. Um, and we're seeing companies become a lot better at this now, um, yeah. giving people like mental health days and, and being a lot. And you can take sick days without having to give, you know, proper in-depth reasons for why you're doing it. And I think that's really progressive. Um, but it's, it's a process um, and we've still got a long way to go. Yeah, it's a hard journey as when, like you said, it needs to be treated like a like a, you would treat an illness. But I guess with mental health, it is hard because you have those days where, like you said earlier, it's a spectrum. So I feel like when you're on a kind of healing journey, it is hard because you will have days where you feel like mm-hmm. you did. And it is, it's just it's just knowing that healing isn't a linear process, but it is obviously yeah. it takes a lot of work. Um, That's big effort. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Um, lots of what I've seen you've been talking about recently has been kind of schools and universities obviously it's kind of like core places to focus on like for actually making like concrete changes I think it's so important I kind of saw you saying um on your petition that you did which is amazing but I was looking at that earlier it has 312,000 signatures yeah mad isn't it but it shows that people like people want this change as well that's the thing like it demonstrates that um like so visibly but we set that petition up not expecting it to get anyone you know we i set that up being like that's a good idea no one will ever sign this we'll get maybe like 500 signatures and go from there and we got we got sixty thousand signatures in one day it was, it was so mad yeah it was just going up and up and up it went a bit viral on oh. on change platform and um yeah it was crazy now like three hundred thousand is just i can't even imagine that many people and they've all signed it which is it does go to say like go to show how many people actually do understand and do want this to happen yeah. um, and do one change i will link the petition in um, the show notes as well so people can go sign it if they haven't seen it um but you're basically petitioning for it to be a requisite for teachers to be trained in mental health which i think i can't and like it sounds awful as someone who's really passionate about mental health i didn't even realize that they weren't why is it not really a thing yeah well that's the, exactly what i said when i learned that it wasn't that's why i set the petition i was like i genuinely thought that was something that happened anyway like safeguarding all the teachers talk about oh we had a safeguarding day i'm not sure i did thought that was just something they did learned about yeah. mental health but actually so many of them have no idea which is just irresponsible like and yeah. I'm not teachers fault because obviously like they're, do- they're doing the training that they're told to do but it is it is baffling to me that that's not a thing like that is bizarre. right exactly and so just this year the government um made it a statutory requirement of pshe so all schools from the right at the beginning of school all the way to age 18 have to teach mental health as part of um, PSHE now. So that's, that's new as of this September. Um, they, the reason they said for doing that, one of the reasons was so that people could identify and help people around them um, if, the, if they noticed they were struggling. So that's the reason the government has for training pupils and students about mental health, and yet they're not training staff. And I'd put exactly the same reason to, to government being like, well, well, do you not want to teach your staff how to spot when someone's struggling and be able to help? You've already admitted that that sort of training is what that can achieve. So why are you not teaching staff about this? Why, why are you sending staff to work 
not well enough prepared to actually deal with issues that happen in the classroom. The largest killer of adolescents in England and Wales is suicide. That's a fact. It's not male or female anymore. It's not just the largest killer of men. It's the largest killer of all adolescents in England and Wales is suicide. We're not teaching teachers about this. You know, every year, 17,000 students aged between 13 and 18 will be admitted to hospital for self-poisoning or self-harm. And, and teachers don't understand anything about mental health and they're not taught it. And I, in an interview with the prime minister, I put it to him and he said it was vital. That was three years ago. I read the statutory requirements. There's no mention of mental health. In fact, there's one mention of mental health and it's about protecting trainee teachers' mental health during the, during the training process. Nothing about student mental health. And you just need to read the figures and you are, it's just like bamboozling. There is something going on to teach teachers. Um, yeah, it's incredibly frustrating because it's so, so obvious that we need to do more. Um, and teachers have to be trained in, in physical first aid obviously, so they can protect students. They have a duty of care to their students. And if, if a student goes into anaphylactic shock, they're trained in how to deal with that so they can help. Why is that any different? Why is that any different to, to mental health when, when it is the largest killer of adolescents in England and Wales? Why are we not training them? It does not make sense. And let's not forget that the government's own reason for teaching students about mental health is to help them spot when someone else is struggling and help. And yet they're not teaching teachers about it. It's bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. Yeah, it's, I mean, the figures are staggering. It really is also such a simple way to make a change. So that's why, yeah, <laughs> yes. So simple. This is why I find it frustrating. I do find sometimes kind of the discourse surrounding mental health is a bit of a generational issue in the sense that I feel like older older people like and this is obviously a very generalized statement I'm not kind of I'm trying to essentialize but I do feel like people are like well like it's all well and good saying that there needs to be change but like how do you do it and it's like well this is a perfect example it's not excess it's not massive and that's this is where it frustrates me because like we kind of have these people saying oh well like you know classic like younger generations saying what they want to happen but not actually doing anything and it's like well no we literally are and there are things that can be done it, it, it does yeah. drive me slightly crazy. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. And I get that so much of people being like, oh, the younger generation is so weak and we're so snowflakey for calling for change. It's like, well, we're not just calling for change here. We're actually giving like suggestions. Yeah. And this was like something I really was conscious about. I don't want to just be like, this is what should happen and we need better mental health support. I'm like, well, let's, let's break that down. If you want me to do the work for you, I'm happy to do the work for you. This is what we need. We need to train teachers in mental health first day. Then we need to let them teach students about it. Then we need to, to educate young people about mental health. Then we need to get better support. And you know how we're going to do that? We're going to launch an independent inquiry. And I'm like, I can lay this out for you, government, if you'll listen to me. But yeah. even then, they just they just don't seem to, to want to do anything. And, you know, I, like I said, I sat down with the prime minister on camera, told him all of this. He was like, oh, yes, yes, yeah, that's vital, that's vital, blah, blah, blah. Three years later, nothing's happened. It would be very, very, it would be exceptionally easy for Westminster to sign a bill creating a new statutory requirement for teacher training to come into force in 2022 that requires teacher training organisations to train about mental health. It would be exceptionally easy. But it's been three years and that hasn't happened. And I find it absolutely bizarre that hasn't happened. Yeah, me too. And I mean, if, if in Parliament they, they could sign a bill to save thousands of lives through, for example, COVID, they would do it straight away. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it is, it, it is just, yeah. I think it just needs, it we just needs to, we just need to keep going. <laughs> That's all we can do. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. And I think as well with the, it's the importance of it is that I think sometimes with mental health, people kind of think, as, a, as quite a lot of comparisons, kind of like, oh, my mental health isn't bad enough. Or it's like, maybe we don't want to, the point of kind of having these things in place is so that you don't get to that. Like it's preventative yeah. medicine and that's the thing like with like people going to therapy and stuff and people are like oh i'm not i'm not bad enough to go to therapy and it's like but then don't like let yourself get kind of down the line so that you are kind of thing and i think that is the thing like it's and it's that kind of ment mentality of being like tough or being being get, pushing through and staying strong and stuff and it's all well and good but these measures need to be in place to prevent yeah. further issues down the line exactly exactly and but i like to in fairness, I think everyone should have therapy. Everyone needs therapy. Me too. Right? Because everyone, I think actually, if people are being really, really honest with themselves, they probably have stuff going on in their own head that, that's probably not very healthy. You know, if you if you spend the day and you really analyse like your internal conversation with yourself, 
um it's it's not a good and and people forget what therapy and counseling is it's trying to reinterpret how you're interpreting your thoughts or re reset how you interpret your thoughts and your your inner um inner conversation that voice in your head that, you, that tells you what to do and, and how you think that's what it is and actually when you look at society and how we're brought up most people really need to to reset how they're interpreting those thoughts because most people have a really unhealthy um, relationship with their inner dialogue um, and that's all therapy is so i think actually everyone should have therapy but you're right what's happened is because there's such a demand on the nhs service and such a demand on therapy and counseling for free free therapy free help is so oversubscribed and so in such a massive demand that the only people that receive help on the nhs are the people that are about to die and what that does is provide an incredibly long wait list for anyone that is treatable so if you enter that process and you are treatable you have to wait until you're almost verging on untreatable before you're given treatment that doesn't make sense um, the most important time to support someone is when they are at the start of that thing everyone knows that catching cancer early and identifying cancer early and getting treatment early means a better likelihood of recovery it's exactly the same thing it's exactly the same if you can get into that system early and get the treatment early and intercept those thoughts early on then you stand such a better chance of recovering and and you could get over this whole thing for your rest of your life but we wait so long we've got such a massive demand that people have to be forced into this system for so long that actually we're setting people up to fail and yeah. we've got a system that has created another problem where we're only treating the people that are right at the very worst point they could be rather than actually treating people that are treatable and we've then those treatable people become worse because they're waiting so long for help um it's 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 not a nice situation to be in and obviously i hear a lot about what goes on in those places and a lot about the waiting times and it's devastating because so many people that enter that process are fully treatable that have mild depression the the time the the moment they receive support they are clinically depressed and they are suicidal they weren't like that when they reached out for support um but they have been because they had to they were forced to wait so long um and, and it's a real 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 problem and i don't think Westminster and Parliament recognise the damage that the delays in tackling this are causing because every day that goes by that we are not doing something to reduce that burden on the NHS is another day that we add to that person that desperately needs help that does not going to get it and if that person waits another day then someone at the very start of that journey has to wait another day too and it's the whole domino effect and until we realise we've got to intercept it now, today, tomorrow then we're not going to make enough change to actually help anyone anytime soon. It's a very long process and we have to start it now. Yeah. And it's a dangerous cycle as well, because as someone who's been in that position, if you go and do kind of, so at our university, for example, you do kind of an assessment form. And to be told when you're struggling with depressive thoughts or which in itself, like a lot of kind of negative self-talk, this kind of thing. Um, if you're told by someone that your mental health isn't, worthy enough to have a therapy session that in itself is just so dangerous because mm. that's so easy when you are unwell to then reflect on yourself and be like oh i'm i'm not i'm not, I'm not even that ill like blah, 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 you know and that in itself yeah that in itself is so problematic and it is just i think it, there's just such a lack of of urgency it isn't urgent situation it's like it's a huge problem and I think as well like you're obviously doing a lot of work with universities because that's a that's a huge time I think it's such a big period of kind of change and people with having more independence yeah. not being with their families and shifting kind of new kind of stage of life really and I think that is where for a lot of people kind of you learn you learn a lot about yourself you spend more time with yourself um yeah and I feel like you're the work you're doing with universities what's kind of what's your hope for university going forward in terms of mental health what's my hope oh my goodness I think there's lots of things that need to change one I think we need far far more attractive uh, jobs within the mental health space there's not enough staff um, and when you have a deficit of staff you get you don't get the best people um, and, and it, it allows people to get away with more um, and to not be as professional as they maybe should be or could be um, so I think actually we need a real like employer employment and drive to get people into this space um, to get people interested in wanting to do go with work into the mental health space. At the moment, it is one of the most unattractive places to work. 
Um, it's always on the news how bad it is. Why is anyone going to want to try and do that unless you are some absolute hero um, that wants to go and help, uh, which there are obviously loads of people out there that, that are. Um, and I know the government's trying to do trying to do a bit of an employment um, employment thing at the moment, which is great. But then above that, I just think universities need to be so much more proactive. Like it always comes down to the person seeking support. Like as you, I'm sure you'll know, sometimes the last thing you want to do is talk to anyone. And the last thing you want to do is reach out for support because um, it, it's vulnerable, isn't it? It's hard to have those conversations. And when you're in a vulnerable state, you don't want to be more vulnerable and, and, and talk about this and go and reach out for support. So then what the universities have created and actually what the NHS has created as well is this system that only works when you come forward and you chase the support and, and the person that's struggling has to come forward. And actually, that's not how it should work. Universities have so much data about their students. They collect so much data about their students. I mean, every time you scan into a lecture, they're collecting data about you. There is absolutely a way that universities could track and monitor students' well-being and proactively target students with interventions. They could so, so easily do that. They could have a, um, a termly uh, survey that students have to fill in um, that, that asks questions like, have you felt suicidal in the last week? Um, and profile students and collect that data. And then it would be on the onus would be on the universities to then target those individuals that reported um, certain answers to those questions. But that's just one of so, so many different solutions to this problem. Universities are incredibly good at innovating. Um, and I think actually we need to encourage those universities to do more, whether it comes from government um, incentivizing it with, with grants and money, um, or whether it comes from students pushing universities to do more. I think both work, but universities definitely have to innovate in this, you know, and also counselling not isn't necessarily the best option for so many people. Like if I did um, a bit of research with Accenture um, last summer. One of the best uh, techniques or, or support things that, that was found when they when we surveyed 12,000 students was actually uh, mentors and buddies from university and being assigned a, a mentor in an old year um, that had like an 80 percent approval rating like people like that that was the most popular one you know some universities don't have that some universities don't even have overnight support um so i just think we need to put them under the microscope have a look what's going on and actually try and work it out but that's not my job that is certainly not my job i'm just going to tell the universities what they need to do and they've got a lot of people that are well overqualified to do what i'm talking about right now that should go away and actually have a think about what they can do differently because let's face it 124 students took their own lives last year we can't we can't just go about doing what we're doing at the moment because so many universities are like but we've got this stuff we've got it we're doing this and i'm like well you're doing it and we're still seeing you know so many people die from suicide in university so whatever we're doing might be enough from your eyes but it certainly isn't when you look at the data so um yeah i think universities just need to look at themselves and, and work out where they need to do more um and uh, and yeah, and not rely on a 21 year old from from Kent to tell them what to do. <laughs> they, they're grown ups. They should be able to do it on, on themselves by yeah, themselves. They very much are. I just want to draw attention to your journey with mental health. After your brother's death, how did you come through that and be able to direct your energy into something like this, which obviously <laughs> like, yeah. again, like, means that you do have to speak about it a lot. And obviously that mustn't be easy at all. How have you like managed to cope with that? I mean, you ha I haven't always, in fairness. Um, I think for me, like the campaigning and this has sort of been how I've coped a lot of the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm quite a positive person. I don't like being sad and being surrounded by sad people. Um, and so, you know, back when in 2018, when Sam died, there was like at home, everyone was coming around and crying and being sad. And, you know, we had all this stuff that was sad and people were hugging you and crying and being sad. And I was like, I don't like that at all. I want something positive to do. And also at that time I was in year 13, I was doing my A-levels and I hate revision and I hate work. And oh, so yeah. I was like, nope, I don't want to do that either because that's sad and boring. Um, and so I started campaigning and I set up a, um, a charity walk and we made like these bright pink t-shirts and it was all going to be like happy and fun and just a different angle because every time you search like mental health or uh, we go onto certain websites it's like really dark and the imaging and the, the sort of the tone of, of the mental health conversation has always been quite dark 
And I was like, hell no, we're going pink camo. We're going like bold. Um, and I just, to be honest, I just wanted something positive to do. Um, and to be able to turn that into something positive and try and help was such a powerful tool for when I felt bad about everything. You could sort of sit back and look at everything and get that little bit of happiness from it. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that was that was kind of how I coped initially. I mean, it's actually quite a common coping mechanism. That's why you see a lot of families um, that go through stuff like this set up charities. It's, it's called sublimation. It's a, like a well-documented um, knee-jerk reaction to, to grief and, and trauma. Um, and uh, here I am, four years later, still going. Yeah. <laughs> I think people from these traumatic experiences kind of, yeah, a way to kind of clear and to honour people's memories to try yeah. and make change in that same space. Um, and I think that's why like people like me and you like have been through kind of traumatic experiences, but it's having, it's like taking what you learn from that and trying to be there for people, other people and kind of relate and, you know, just yeah. try and take something away from something which is horrendous, but we can't unfortunately change it. So we have a choice and we have a responsibility for how we respond. And obviously that is a lot easier said than done. Like, and I really appreciate that for, what, for whatever anyone's been through. Yeah. But you do just have to kind of, yeah, like just t- make that choice. Yeah. Um, and in terms of, did you, were you at university? Uh, yeah, so I was. I did, um, I went to um, Liverpool. Okay. And I did engineering and I hated it. <laughs> I loved uni. I loved uni life. I loved everyone I met there. I loved like living there. I just hated my course yeah. so, so much. Yeah. I'm not very good at maths and I was doing engineering, so it didn't really work too well. I did two and a half years and then dropped out. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I mean uh, I took a year out um like in between years um so I didn't drop out but I mean I changed my course as well yeah Edinburgh's good I mean I started with geography I was doing like climatology and then I changed to like religious studies (laughs) I came back from um like my year out and just wanted to completely like fresh like fresh course but when you were at uni, did you find did you find at all that you found it challenging at all? I was quite lucky. Like, I was in a position where I could try and like chase support, and like, yeah. I was in a, a position where I felt like I could sit down and talk to people about it and and yeah. try and get stuff in. So there was a lovely lady called Denise um, who was in student support for engineering, and I used to just go in there. If I was having a bad day, have a cup of tea with her. 
um, and just chat to her. And she was she was really lovely. So, but this is the kind of the problem as well. Like, I, it shouldn't really be on a student to seek that necessarily. Exactly. I mean, obviously, it can't be entirely autonomous. But it was just if I hadn't have stunned certain things or had been lucky in certain situations, I wouldn't have ended up having this person I could go and just have a cup of tea with. Um, it, it wouldn't have happened like that. And so I, I consider myself quite lucky that I was able to access that sort of help um, and um, and yeah, have a little bit of a laugh about the fact that I couldn't answer any of the questions for most of my modules <laughs> and was scraping through this insane foreign language maths that made no sense in my head. Um, but oh well, I filled my time with the um, with the campaigning and obviously that's that's done so well. So that's that's why I got to a point in third year where I was like. I'm not going to pass this degree and if I drop out I can put all my time into into my work um, and actually that's going to have so much more value for me and for everyone else so goodbye bye engineering see you later <laughs> fair enough I did maths a level and I really, oh really did not enjoy it <laughs> I got a U in my mock for maths I, got an a. E. I got an E in one of my maths yeah horrendous nice awful um, it was horrible though it was just horrible yeah so why did no one at school be like mm, Ben <laughs> and you know when people come out exams and they're like oh it was so hard I'm like no no like I no, really really, really messed this up and they were like oh no I'm sure you were fine I was like no 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 I'm like I've left yeah. like <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was funny and at uni I remember this we had this one maths exam and I was sitting um like there was a massive hall and I was sitting like in the far back corner and my mate was in the middle and I remember just like everyone's heads were down and it was just me and him like this. And we both looked at each other and just laughed. We couldn't answer any I think we got eleven percent in that exam. It was awful. Honestly. It was absolutely awful. And we were sitting there laughing at each other because we couldn't <laughs> not answer a single question. But but yeah, it was it was such a challenge. And also I think actually kind of that whole situation draws on something else as well. It's like the university is so rigid and so unflexible. So unflexible. Yeah. And and actually flexibility, when we talk about like mental, general mental health uh, and stress, it, flexibility is such an important part of, of looking after our mental health. Mm -hmm. That's what we're seeing with, with work and jobs now. So many employers are, are being really flexible with hours, um, flexible working, um, working from home, working from the office, giving people that flexibility is so good for mental health. At uni, like they're still back in the industrial revolution where it's like, <laughs> do this, deadline on Sunday, get it done, no exceptions. Um, and it, it doesn't help anyone's mental health. It certainly didn't help mine when I was had all this work going on outside of university, had these deadlines coming up. And then as soon as I asked for an extension, it was like, nope, nope, get, the get it on the deadline. Um, and it's, it's so unflexible. So that's another thing. I think there should be so much more flexibility in being a student than that there's more than just what it is at the moment. It's just far too rigid and puts so much pressure yeah. on people, so much pressure on people. Yeah no definitely I also just think it's great to like for you I mean like I think it's funny because when we kind of speak about when I say like, oh I dropped out for you or like you're like oh I dropped out it's like I've got to this point where I've realized like life is short and I just I, there is no point just doing something because you feel like you should yeah. and yeah. like we should just we honestly should just seek the things that make us feel good and obviously like you say you had all this activism you were doing and like why not direct all your po positive energy into that rather than feel like right. you have to finish something and I, I can imagine people might have been like oh but you were so close like why not just finish it off and it's like yeah but I'm not gonna I assume I assume you don't want to be an engineer so it's kind of like no I see this with like people going for jobs and stuff and I, I kind of see people throwing themselves in, in onto the career ladder and doing these things because they feel like they should but I just, yeah, I, and I know it's, I know that it's easy for me to say when I'm very privileged at university, kind of like very well supported by my parents. And I understand that, but I just, yeah, there is this, a big narrative of kind of pushing through and kind of not taking that time to actually really re reflect and be like, am I actually doing what makes me feel good? Because, and what you want to do. Yeah, yeah. and what you want to do. But exactly. so many people don't know what they want to do. And actually that's okay, but also make sure that you're not just doing something like living for the weekend sort of thing yeah and you want to do um whatever that is um but but you're, you're so right and actually so there's so much shame about dropping out or yeah, so much shame and shame is an awful awful emotion um and there's really no shame like we're both sitting here being like yay um i can i would happily like be like yep drop out we hey it's going yeah. well for me isn't it? um it's not you don't feel any shame about it because you know what there's nothing 
if you're making a decision for your own health or to get yourself onto a path that you'd rather be on that's that's not something to be ashamed of that's something to be really really proud of yeah. and to, because not many people have the confidence to actually make those decisions um and so yeah I think it's a really it's a really amazing thing to be able to do to actually check in realize you're not doing what you want to do realize you're not on the path you want to do or the job you want you will want to be in or, or something's not going on and it could be you know love life or something to actually realize that something's not what you want and take action is a really brave thing to do um and so yeah I think being able to check in and reflect is a really important thing um for people to be able to do and then feel like they're actually you know have that power to to carve their own path make your own path um and, and you're right life's so short don't don't be doing what you don't want to do yeah so exactly. it's, it's not worth it it's not worth it exactly and no to be honest I'm the same like I I mean when anyone ever asked me about it I always say taking that time it was the best best decision of my life easily um and I made it so quickly it was so funny I was just with my friend and I was just really struggling I had mm. exams coming up so little motivation and I just just talking to my friend about this and she said um she was just like you don't you know you don't have to be at university like you can take time out and I was like yeah I don't yeah. need to be here and that yeah. day I literally called my mom and told her I was gonna take time out and she was like okay babes fine yeah. <laughs> and like yeah. again I'm really lucky that I have parents because I, I can see the narrative in, in where parents are kind of would be like no like you're you're doing this kind of thing um but my and I was very lucky that my parents were very very supportive and yeah one phone call probably about five minutes long and then decided I was gonna leave for a year <laughs> like and it, and it was for me, for me, I'm very decisive and it was an easy decision, but for me, it was easily the best. The relief I got when I made that decision. Oh, oh it, was, it was immediate. It was like I'd just been to a spa day. It was just awesome. Yeah. The relief of just not having that burden anymore was amazing. And yeah. that's when I realised how awful I'd found it was yeah. that moment I sent that email and I was like, oh, it was like a breath of fresh air. It was incredible. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Just before we come to the end, I just want to touch on um, social media because obviously it's kind of highlighted as a space that is quite toxic and quite damaging for mental health. But then obviously accounts like yours are amazing for kind of uplifting mental health as a as something that we need to be talking about. Um, how have you found it kind of having a bigger following on like the social media space and how have you found like kind of managing that like negative aspect of it but also obviously that positive aspect as well yeah yeah I mean firstly I would never I would never be in this position if I wasn't for social media so yeah. like I I would not be doing this um if it wasn't for social media especially Instagram like none of this would have happened I wouldn't have ever got Downing Street I wouldn't have this position I wouldn't have done any of this without Instagram that's been um the like the absolute like power behind everything I've done so on that sense I think social media can be a really amazing thing um the abuse it's not great it's not ideal it's not fun mm -hmm. um and you do get a surprising amount of it to be honest with you I've never really taken it personally or to heart um I tend to just screenshot messages and send them to my friends and be like <laughs> just laugh at it like <laughs> someone's taking the time to write this about me and this is hilarious um <laughs> uh, so I don't really take it to heart but it, it I can see if I was in a position where I was already feeling quite low or tired or I was really reading that and taking it to heart it's incredibly damaging because I'm not exactly polarizing I don't think I'm not saying anything that that people should be like politically against or feel really really anti-me I'm not really saying anything like that I'm just trying to help people regardless yeah. and I get abuse um and I just every time I get something like that I'm like imagine if I was saying something that was really out there and I was an account that was doing something really out there um imagine all this stuff the sort of abuse that some people get it must be horrendous because I get it and I'm not really doing anything that wild um but it's it's sad that it exists it really really is but also it kind of points to the whole mental health conversation as well because you know in school everyone used to tell you oh bullies are just people that are bullied um and they they you know that bullies are actually you know people that are that are having a bad home life or, or something's mm. going on in their life. It's the same with online abusers and online trolls. You know, actually, they're part of this mental health conversation as well. The reason we've got such massive um, levels of online abuse and, and online toxicity and people being really mean online points back to the whole mental health conversation, which is that actually the the sort of person that goes and targets people like that and is abusive online actually is a victim themselves of this whole um thing so so that's how I kind of frame it in my mind is actually yeah. these people are not nasty people necessarily they're actually people that need help 
Um, and it just fuels back into that idea that we need better education around mental health. We need people to understand their emotions better. Because if your reaction to seeing something online is to um, post abusive hate, hate speech, um, then then that is a that's your interpretation of those emotions, and and that's something to be investigated and yeah. treated, um, rather than someone that is necessarily intrinsically bad. It, it's actually something that could be, you know, they could be a victim themselves. So that's the way I look at it. But social media is a tool for really really good as well. It can be an amazing race place as long as you monitor what is you what you're seeing and work out whether you're seeing something that's toxic or whether you're seeing something that's good my instagram feed is wonderful i love my instagram yeah, feed now i just follow people that i like yeah no exactly i think it is hard as well though with instagram that kind of highlights real aspects yeah. of it kind of so easy to compare your situation and i yeah i feel like i've done a lot of work to the point now where i can quite easily be on social media and know that it, and, and and obviously everyone does know this as well everyone knows that if you take a photo you, it's out of 50 and you didn't like 49 of them you know like it's the, yeah. it's the same thing and like and I I feel like I'm in a position where I, I I can know that and it's the same with if you get like nasty comments and stuff like if you reflect on it, you know that it's their stuff and that's their their work to do not yours it's not your and these people don't know you so like they don't and they only see this like small yeah, I'm like, this is genuinely this person's written this about me. This is this is like so funny. Time out of the day to do. I know, I know. It's quite funny. But some people get really creative about it and go really deep, and you're like, wow, quite impressive. They should have like the trial awards. Yeah, it's like the creative writing competition. Yeah, some people, yeah, they use some good grammar. Yeah. No, but it is funny, like. I think I think once you can take a step back and realize that it's like ever and also just because I know that like when I post stories and stuff like I know that it's that's not my whole day and like I try and be super authentic on Instagram but I guess like people like people are, are not going to post like them kind of watching mm. like three hours of Netflix in bed like people are going to post like oh I went on my run or like doing my yoga yeah. or whatever like obviously and I think you just have to kind of it's kind of remembering and like you say cultivating your feed as well to have like authentic people and make sure you're just consuming positive content I think and like we yeah. can't do that you can you can mute accounts and you can unfollow us obviously and just like I think it's just remaining conscious of of yeah what you're consuming basically isn't it definitely and also recognizing that a lot of people on Instagram make a lot of money uh, making people feel bad um a lot of the cosmetic industry a lot of the the fitness industry although obviously there are some really really good fitness accounts yeah a lot of the fitness accounts make a huge amount of money um from making people jealous um of their instagram that's how that's how their business works and i think actually to recognize that is a really important part because even those fitness influencers that look absolutely massive on camera and so so good a lot of them will not feel good and and actually you know the number of times you hear interviews about bodybuilders or people that work for like such small amount of body fat that that reflect and they say actually I was so unhappy um you know you you chase this idea of the perfect life and the perfect body and the perfect fitness and actually you get there and you're just not happy um yeah. and so many people you see so many interviews where they where people like that come out of that and, and actually live a normal life and they're like I, this is not what I, I this is not the best I've ever looked but I'm so much happier um, and I think actually recognizing that and realizing that Instagram is a business platform as much as it is a social media platform um, uh, is a really really important way of understanding that it's not real <laughs> you yeah. don't watch tv ads and like and, and are like oh that's that's definitely real um, there's definitely a singing opera man that comes into coffee shops and talks about insurance it's like it's all fabricated it's all actors and uh, it's exactly the same with social media um, it's really important to recognize that because if you if you think that it's real or interpret it as real then it's can be really really damaging um but then again don't follow those people <laughs> follow your mates follow people that make you feel good yeah follow, make, exactly. follow people that make you learn things and then then you're all good yeah i yeah just drawing what you're saying there like i think as well like with health and stuff on instagram um i it is very easy i think to kind of have this and like, i feel like we've been kind of tailored as a society to think what a healthy a healthy body is yeah. and it is crazy to me that someone could like yeah you could see look at someone and from their external appearance think they're healthy but very, like you say it's super likely that yeah. people who spend so much time like and like monitoring their diet and everything they do they're not gonna be mentally healthy you know so like it's it's just I think yeah like and it's just like we were saying earlier like 
taking a step back of like of separating the categories of like physical like health and mental health and just yeah being acknowledging that and I saw I saw a quote from Matt Haig do you follow Matt Haig yeah I love Matt Haig he's amazing so amazing actually um and he was like nobody is worth not eating pasta for and I was like yeah yeah I mean like I just feel like yeah like yeah like yeah your meal might not be kind of amazing on like the eat well pay or whatever but if it makes you feel good and you enjoy it with friends Mm. and stuff like that's so much healthier in my eyes I think it's just yeah removing that kind of separation with health and just like drawing it all together you know 100 percent. and there's another there's another account I think it's called James Middleton he's really pretty amazing again it has this stereotypical perfect male body and he did this um, reel the other day about cheat days and he said cheat day that's a horrendous phrase because eating something you want to eat eating something you enjoy is not cheating it's it's just like enjoying and life's there to enjoy not just like constantly contradict yourself and, and work out and also like on this whole topic and we can go into this like people forget that anorexia and eating disorders are part of this mental health conversation a lot of yeah, time absolutely. It's sort of sometimes put as a separate thing was actually you know the highest mortality rate of any mental mental health disorder is anorexia one in ten it's um it's incredibly dangerous disorder that, that I don't think gets talked about enough. And very shortly, there was a law coming into force in the UK that requires every restaurant in the country to put calories on their menus. Um, yeah, it's happening. I think in November. Oh. So all you know, all menus in the UK are going to have to have calories on their on their meals. Um, the government did that to tackle obesity, but I think it really shows how little they they do understand mental health that they never question what that would do to some sort of problem and um, calorie I, i've had so many conversations recently about exactly this and people have have really um proudly said that oh i'm gonna i'm gonna start calorie counting when the when the menus come out and i'm like no no no, no hang on listen mm-hmm. that's not that's not a good thing to do um that causes really 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 severe problems and actually calorie count calorie counting leads to eating disorders which many people have lost their lives to um government passed that law and it's coming into effect um which is absolutely terrible but it's happening it's going to happen very shortly in the uk um and it just fuels this bigger problem anorexia eating disorders they're massive massive problems mm-hmm. and i think actually the fact that bill was passed shows so much about how much this government actually does care about mental health they could they'll wear the pin on mental health awareness day but they'll they'll sign a bill that that puts calories on all of their menus um it's 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 again it's bizarre it's absolutely bizarre that is going to be the most triggering thing for so right? many people Awful. I, yeah, I'm, everyone like i'm speaking to someone and i have actually I, when i was younger i really struggled with um kind of disordered eating when i was an athlete which is it's quite yeah. a consistent narrative um for young athletes um but and I have a very, I've, I have a very healthy relationship with food presently, and that will, not, I will not like that at all. This is coming from someone who loves food and eats a lot, yeah, okay. and, yeah, and like, and is, and does it with joy. But that will still, that is not fun for anyone. That is, mm. well, I'm, yeah, yeah. But well, also, why do you go to a restaurant? You go to a restaurant to enjoy your evening. You go to a restaurant to enjoy nice food. You don't go to a restaurant to sit there and not choose what you want to eat because yeah. it's, got, it's got a few more calories than something else. That's not why you go for nights out. Um, and it uh, look, you can you can argue that that we do need to do something about you know trying to get people to eat more healthily. That, yeah. That's fine. But restaurants, you know, who goes out and and you know one meal and a, a week that's massively high calorie or high in fat, that's not going to hurt. Food is there to be enjoyed. You know, yeah. there's a whole industry based on the fact that food is delicious it's so good (laughs) (laughs) and uh, and like it's it's just it it changes what food is into just calories and it's not it's an experience it's taste it's enjoying it um and that is unfortunately a very sad reality that very shortly that law is going to come into place and restaurants going to have to but restaurants going to have to do that um which is just bizarre it's it's so sad that that's going to happen but i'm sure there's going to be a huge outcry when people realize just how obvious and how bad that is actually going to look on a menu um and i'm going to be ready for it to just oh, yeah. go back and be like that. boris that's not okay that's really no. not okay i will be joining you on that 100 yeah so it's just classically equipped continues that narrative that more calories is unhealthy which is just yeah. ridiculous no. no exactly you've got to enjoy your night out you've got to enjoy your dinner and also 
Hey, that's not why you go to a restaurant. You don't go to a restaurant to eat, eat a little leaf of spinach because you want to go low calorie. You don't go to have a nice meal with your friends, yeah. enjoy their company. And again, it like it, it just changes what that is. And also the fact that people have said like, oh, we're going to start calorie counting and don't understand how dangerous that is um, for anyone. And also we forget that, you know, people that are um, overweight or, or considered overweight on their, with their BMI, they can still have eating disorders as well. And calorie counting for them can be really, really dangerous. Uh, it's not just people that are already thin that, that are going to suffer from this. Um, yeah, it's not good, not good at all. Um, and that was passed. And I don't think they ever spoke to someone about eating disorders and eating disorder specialist about it and got their opinion. But I'm sure when it comes into force, they'll get plenty of opinions put their way because I think it's, yeah, it's, a, it's just awful that that's been able to pass. No, it really is. And, and also disordered eating affects everyone. I think it's quite easy sometimes to single out kind of women as it being a real issue but I think it's it is important to remember and I mean we could go into the whole thing about how mental health it does have a tendency to be quite gendered as well but I mean it it affects everyone obviously men have a a history of not talking about this I know personally from my friend group and my conversations it's just not something that's comfortable still um so there is that but um, there are more people hospitalized, or more women hospitalized um, for suicide attempts than men. Um, uh, so, so there is a conversation on both sides. But I think to just focus entirely on one or the other in both aspects uh, is, is dangerous. And also when we get to eating disorders, you know, so many people are like, but men can't get eating disorders. Men can't have anorexia. Yeah. Um, you know, you'd be surprised how many people that, are, that should know better have told me that. And I'm like, mm, but yes, they can. They, they certainly can. Um, and although there's less men with eating disorders than women, there's some, there's still an, a large number. Um, and I think it's it gets to a point where it's sometimes unhelpful to to draw those sorts of boxes. We need better mental health support. We need better education. Doesn't mean more for men or more for women. Maybe it might be different for each of them. But we desperately need it. Desperately need it because um, it is affecting well millions of people every year. Yeah. Um, millions and millions of people every year. Well, that's the thing that like, even like I didn't even know that statistic. And this is like as someone who's very passionate about mental health, it shows that there's still like lots to learn for me and for everyone as well. Um, oh, I'm sure there is for me as well. There's plenty yeah, out there to learn. Yeah, 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 there is. Like, and that's the thing. Like, and I feel like it, it is kind of easy um, to kind of sometimes draw, like even be drawn into kind of categorization. But like you say, ultimately, it's a it's a problem that affects everyone. So everyone needs to be included in that. Um, yeah. I mean, I could literally talk to you for hours about this. <laughs> I should probably let you it's go. my job. Eh? I do talk about it for hours. That's kind of what I do. <laughs> um, but I'm going to I'm gonna just finish up by asking you those three questions, yeah. um, which I ask all my guests at the end. So the first question is, what is one thing you do each day to feel your best? Ooh, okay, wow. Um, I would say the best thing I've learned is that actually um like checking in and this is like it seems so obvious but just asking yourself if you're okay is mm-hmm. one of the most important things even if you don't do anything about it even if you wake up you're like am i okay and you're like no and then you just don't do anything about it just to acknowledge that is so so important because so often we go through our days and we're just like no nothing's nothing's wrong nothing's nothing's wrong or if you're feeling a certain way you're like i oh, don't feel like that don't be don't be stupid you need to well, let's go and see people let's go out um, and actually, I think, yeah, one thing I do every day is check in. Um, and even if I don't do anything to react to that, the fact that I've asked that question to myself and been honest with myself is a huge, huge, huge thing. And everyone should do that. It should be part of like, brush your teeth. Am I okay? Yep. Sound, let's go. Um, it's it's a really, really easy thing to do, but everyone should be doing that a lot more than we do. Yeah. And this is the thing though, these like these tools are simple. And that's such a great practice because it's also a practice of kind of being present with yourself rather than because often like we're we're sad about things that happened in the past or we're worried about things that happening in the future but just doing that like you say is like taking time each day to just be like hey actually going to draw myself into this moment and see how i'm feeling now not how i think i'm going to feel or have felt you know it's really yeah exactly exactly amazing so second question is do you have a goal or a way you want to grow in the next year (laughs) <laughs> I need to find somewhere to live. That's a massive issue at the moment, it seems to be. I've got friends up here who still don't have houses. 
<laughs> I don't really know what I'm doing with my life to be honest I need to sort something out but um <laughs> I'm not I to be honest I'm not the sort of person that ever has planned ahead and then thought ahead um I had to I was forced to do a five-year plan the other week in a meeting um mm. with my management and I was like I genuinely don't want, know what I'm doing next week so you ask me what I'm doing five years I have no idea I could be like married living in America for all I know I've got no idea um <laughs> I, I don't know maybe um but I um but in a year's time I think it'd be really good to be able to go back to Downing Street um, and have it out with the Prime Minister again and be like, hey, I'm back. You didn't lose me. Uh (laughs) I think in terms of universities, um, having some sort of progress there and actually starting to see some sort of difference being made, that would be really, really good. And obviously one that I sort of give myself every year is teachers. We need to set a deadline of when teachers are going to start being trained mental health first aid because every single year that ticks past is like another year of, of children that aren't going to get this support so that is uh that is something that i think should happen well i think that should happen today to be honest but yeah i'll give myself i'll give myself a year yeah no those are all great it's it is i mean yeah all very all very critical and hopefully we'll be able to see some some sort of change over the next year we would hope um final question is do you have a quote uh, that you use for positivity yeah I was thinking about this I, I, I love quotes I love them but I can't think of I, I don't really have one that I go to but the one I do love is um, Caroline Flack right that, that took her own life um, that two years ago now which is crazy uh, um, she I spoke I spoke to her um, the Christmas before she died and um, and so I was really and we were going to work on a, on a mental health thing together, and um, I was really really shocked when when that happened. And she put that that quote out that post um, saying, "If you can be anything, be kind." And I think actually like what I've seen through Twitter, through social media, through my work is that actually there's there's so much unkindness, there's so much hostility, yeah. and there's just such a lack of empathy with people. Um, and actually, one of the most important things like we can all do. You just be a little bit kinder to people um and and yeah i mean it, it goes a very very long way having that empathy and that kindness um whether you're kind through the decisions you make to run your country or your university or your school or you're kind to a random stranger in the street it's like a really really important thing to do and it's something i think i have to remind myself of sometimes it's very easy to go through your life and not realize the impact you're having on other people sometimes positive or negative um, and to actually sit back and like remind myself of that and and obviously what happened to her which was which was awful um and and realize actually small things make a massive difference um and so yeah if you yeah. can be anything be kind it's a it's a it's a really powerful powerful sentiment yeah no it's so true and like you say like it doesn't have to be extravagant you can just check in with a friend you haven't for a while or yeah. small things that don't take I mean, if you want to be extravagant, please go ahead. That's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> I always do whatever. That's that's me. Yeah, yeah. But it do, it doesn't have to be stuff that's crazy. Also, having that kindness to yourself as well. So not only to people mm, around, but speaking yeah. to yourself with kindness because we're so it's so easy to be critical of of oneself. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's in our kind of whole discussion, like like with mental health, like that is such a huge factor is how you speak to yourself. Um, exactly. That is an amazing takeaway for how you speak to everyone else and how you treat yourself as well um right thank you so much ben it's been so nice to talk to you no my pleasure it's been lovely talking yeah no thanks so much for having me no it's okay and the work you're doing is is so amazing so thank you so much and we'll we'll keep going we'll keep fighting for it (laughs) yeah eventually we not we're not loud enough though let's start to listen eventually yeah i'll be back in downy street soon you will taking time to come on the podcast remember to sign the petition in the show notes and i hope that you live well today have a lovely day hold up 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.